0: You wow, we have lots of investors. people come in. <laughs> it's yeah. like watching those numbers. I love it. I love to see so it. If I
1: do not say anything really weird, I It'll will be fine. Be <laughs> It'll
0: be fine. <laughs> I think your uh, your weirdness is right at home with with Jill, and I mean that in the best way. to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Today's episode is an interview I did with Natalie D. Richards about her book, Five Total Strangers, which was our latest big library read book club pick. For those who are not familiar with BLR, this is our global reading book club. Um, you still have time to participate. Uh, title will be available through November 15th. So you have until Monday to um, check out Natalie's book. You can get the ebook or audiobook without waitlist or holds from your library's overdrive site. And we have a discussion board and fun time. So we um, chatted with Natalie in the live event on Monday the 8th. And um, yeah, so that's going to be today's episode is is the interview I did with Natalie. It was a lot of fun. She was so much fun to talk to. Um And yeah, so it's a spoiler-free episode. Don't worry. So if you haven't read the book yet or you are still reading it, um, we won't give anything away. You're safe there. It's a spoiler-free zone. So, um, yeah. I hope you enjoyed Five Total Strangers. If you read it already and you are participating in the discussion board, if you attended the event on Monday, thank you so much. We had so much fun. Um... If you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds, and you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. So I think that's all I got for you. Um, Yeah, so I hope you enjoy this interview with Natalie D. Richards on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. So hi, I'm Jill. Um I am Jill from the Professional Book Nerds. If you want to know more about our podcast, just to get this out of the way, you can go visit our website professionalbooknerds.com. Like Sydney said, this will this interview will eventually appear on there as a regular episode. We do have episodes Monday and Thursday and you can always find the podcast on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at probooknerds. But today, I'm very excited because we are here to talk with Natalie D. Richards as part of our Big Library Read program. So Natalie, yay! So Natalie is a New York Times bestselling author and lifelong Ohioan. I don't have the New York Times bestseller, but also a lifelong Ohioan. (laughs) And she's the author of several novels, including We All Fall Down, Gone Too Far, The Brand New 7 Dirty Secrets, and Five Total Strangers, which is our latest pick of our global big library read program. So we are here to talk all about Five Total Strangers. Um, As Sydney did say, Since there is still a week left of the Big Library program, not everyone has finished reading the book at this stage. Some people haven't checked it out yet. We're going to keep this spoiler free as we are asking these questions. But Natalie, thank you so much for joining me and our audience for this. I'm so excited. So uh, for those who maybe are attending this and haven't read the book, Or, you know, maybe have just started. Can you kind of give a brief introduction to Five Total Strangers?
1: Yes. Yes, I can do that. So Five Total Strangers is um, maybe one of the most fun books I've ever written, honestly, but also really stressful because it was a little suffocating at times. They were in a car. Uh, So this is a story about Mira, who is, uh, her flight is grounded during a bad blizzard. I think we've all had a travel delay at some point in our life, thanks to weather, So her flight is grounded. The airport is bonkers, but she's desperate to get home to her mother. There's a lot of stressful things going on at her house and she really needs to get home. So she ends up accepting a ride offered from four strangers thinking, okay, we're going to make it. But this road trip through the Pennsylvania mountains in a blizzard turns out to be even worse than you'd think because someone in the car does not want her to get home alive. So that in a nutshell is the book
0: yeah that um that's kind of awkward being in a car and you know, strangers and yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> I don't recommend it for all of you
1: watching do not take a ride with strangers f y i read this book and find out why
0: <laughs> that was that was actually one of my questions like what would like if you were married you're in the situation where you found like you could you needed to get home and the only way to do it would be to get in a car with strangers like would you do it? And along with that, like, what if you found out one of your kids did this? Like, I feel like there'd be some, mm, not just not the best choice. My cheese would come
1: off my cracker. If it were my
0: <laughs> children, no, like I'd lose it in a way
1: that would be like worthy of Jerry Springer and every old daytime talk show. It would be bad. I would be like, ah! But honestly, I rate thrillers. So guys, like I can't even like go to my, you know, downstairs basement at night without being sure. Like if I'm behind a van, I'm sure there's a dead body in it. If I see, you know how there's always something on the side of the freeway, right? There's always a trash bag. It's a body. Every time with me, it's a body. So no, I'm not getting in the car with strangers. But then I say that and Mira's not in a normal situation. She's got a mother who's falling to pieces, who... Uh, is grieving her twin sister's death and she has to get home. She's all her mother has. So we don't think we would do these things, right? But what if we're in a position where someone we love desperately needs us? I think that's what really was the catalyst for me to write this book. You know, at first I thought, no way, she's not getting in the car with strangers. And I'm like, yes, she is because she's that desperate. So, yeah, I don't know what I do. We all like to think we know. We think we'd make the right choice, the wise choice, but the truth is sometimes we do stupid things to try to do something for someone we love.
0: No, that's a, that's a good point. You know, we don't, it's easy to say I wouldn't get in a car with these people that I don't know, but if that is the only way for me to get to where I need to be for the people I love. Right. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely a hard one. Um yeah and you know right from the beginning of this book you just i got totally sucked in you just like drop us in the situation where we are on the middle of this flight and there's turbulence and i'm just like sucked in and i'm just you know how as a writer how do you go about starting a book and have it be so engaging of an opening chapter
1: so i think again Being a thriller writer, that's kind of the name of the game. Like you really, like, if I'm not building that suspense right from the get-go, I'm really not doing my job. But also, as a reader who is very easily bored, I am a reader that skims. Like, I will fully admit that to you. Like, if I'm a long-winded book and we're waxing poetic about how the mountains look out the window, I'm the person skimming to the next chapter. Like, let's go. All right, we're moving along here. So for me, I think. Uh, being engaged is about not wanting to do any of the skimming. So I try not to write anything I would skim. Like if I would move right past it, it probably isn't essential to the story I'm trying to tell, especially because I'm not uh, telling an in-depth historical saga where we need every detail about for family tree. I'm telling a suspense story. I'm telling something about a girl who's in trouble. So I think you have to think about the kind of book you're writing. And for me, writing suspense, this is just a critical piece of what I do.
0: I feel like that's good advice for all of the writers out there. And I say that as someone who writes, like, if you would skim it, it's probably not necessary for what you're writing. That's that's very good advice. That's good advice. And while we're on advice
1: advice. on that front, since there are some writers out there. So I would also say your prospective agent or editor who will open your book for the first time, you have about 30 seconds to get them. So your first page in particular, and certainly your first chapter, but really that first page, you've got to make sure whether it's a reader you're trying to grab as a published author or an editor or an agent, you've got to let them know, they've got to know what's happening next. They've got to immediately say, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's not always built with suspense. It's built differently with different kinds of books. But I really think about that. Like you have such a short period of time before someone's attention is distracted. We are a Twitter generation. Like we're constantly, you know, drifting off to the next news story or whatnot. So this is one thing I've really learned as an author. And it did change me from being unpublished to published is really being tough on myself and saying, no, they don't need this backstory. This can go later, or maybe never at all, often never at all.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the other things I liked about the book is that even, that first chapter was super engaging but the more you keep reading you keep offering these little crumbs that make it see like make us realize as a reader things aren't quite what they seem and that's true for mira you know she thinks she has this really wonderful relationship with her mom where they tell each other everything right. and then you know you find out that that might not be true and it's just it's a good, like the pace was really good. Just keeping me wanting to keep reading to find out what, what is happening next. Thanks. That was the goal. Thanks. <laughs> well, you succeeded. Um, so as you said, and when, you know, your introduction about the book, um, it, it takes place in a car and it reads very much like an Agatha Christie type locked room mystery in that. For <laughs> that part and send it to me. And I'll always play that back to me. I will. I will. You can make it like your ringtone or something. Yeah, be like. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So I guess you know, like, was that was that intentional to kind of make it feel suffocating, like because it is all in in this car.
1: You know, actually, it was not intentional. My intention initially when writing the book was, I feel like weather, like a storm. And I've gotten so many emails from people since this has been a big library. It's phenomenal. I love reading this story. There are so many of us who have had a really harrowing experience in the snow. So because of that, it was really the, the element of the snowstorm and being trapped on the roads that I thought, was the thing. But that is what's fascinating about being a writer is you go into it and you think you have it figured out sort of, but I'm not a plotter like plotters are writers that have their whole outline and they have every scene. I don't think I could ever truly write that way because I write suspense. And if I know everything that's going to happen, it's very difficult to make it terribly suspenseful. Part of the suspense you feel when writing my books is me going, how will I figure this out? Oh my God, does this book have an ending? Where am I going? So some of that is in there and there are always these nuggets of surprise where something comes out in the story that is, that's where the magic is. Like where you're writing along and you're like, God, I can't get them out of this car. I can't like, they've been in this car and I'm like, oh, it's really suffocating. Like I've done this without realizing it because of the scenario, but it was, it was stressful to write. Sometimes I was like, oh my gosh, my editor said that like, this was one of the most suffocating reads. And I mean that in a great way but it was like, I, and I thought like, that's what it's like on a road trip, isn't it? We've all been on a bad one, whether it's like scary, bad, or just like nightmare, bad, where we're just like, this will never end. I'm going to be in this car for the rest of my life. So I think that was a surprise, but a fun one.
0: Yeah. Well, that takes care of that question about whether or not you are a plotter. So uh <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, that's, not? that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that's interesting though. I, I feel like you know, having interviewed lots of writers um, who write thriller or mystery, I always feel like you would have to be to some degree a plotter to make sure things are make sense. But it sounds like you just kind of make it up as you go along and are probably and, surprised yourself to some degree about what happens. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe what it is, is you have to be either you have to be
1: a plotter, which I'm not. I just can't. I cannot. Um, or you have to be a person that is willing to let your story take charge a little bit. Um, so I, this, there are several books I've written where the villain that I thought was the villain was not the villain. There are a couple of books I've written where the villain was not the villain I wanted. Like I really liked that person and they became the villain and it was really upsetting. But I also like the story talks to you as you write. Uh, there's a, an old writing like a little writing recommendation of like, sometimes you write behind your own back. You can't attribute this to me. I do not know what writing guru said this, but it was a phenomenal thing that I always remember. Sometimes you're writing a book and you're doing all these things intentionally. I study craft a lot. I am putting a lot of work into this book. Sometimes things slide behind your back. Truths, um, really deep human connections, things like that, where you're like, there's an element of suspense you didn't anticipate. So I think you have to be open to making changes and saying, oh, there's a thing here I didn't realize I'm going with it because it's right. It came out very organically. So
0: was there one scene in particular that you remember being really fun to write?
1: Uh fun. Let's see. In this book where everybody's like, "Maybe gonna <laughs> not. Um,
0: fair enough, fair enough.
1: It would be a little maniacal if I was like, they were all fun, Jill. I like them all. Um, no, I think I did really enjoy, which is weird. I've been in a couple of really frightening accidents on the freeway in the snow. uh, But I enjoyed writing uh, one of the there's, a, there's an accident scene. I think that's not too much of a spoiler. Uh, there is an accident scene in it that was really stressful, but it just came out of me so quickly. It was like one of those crazy moments in writing where it all is just flying out of you. My fingers are moving faster than my brain. It was great. So that was a lot of fun because I wrote the whole thing and then I went back through it and really did not need to change very much, which editing is a big thing. Like I have to do a lot of it, most writers do, but this was one of those rare scenes that it just kind of spilled out of me and it was almost perfect. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So that happens about, if you're curious, like 2% of the time that you're writing, is it easy? And then maybe like 2% of that time, is it like, it's easy and it's good. So it's really rare. I love that.
0: For sure. Um, one of the questions, one of our attendees has asked is, um, this is from Sydney, not the same city on this, but Sydney in the audience. Um, what was the most difficult part of Difficult part to write. Is that what you said? You broke yeah, up a the most difficult part of the book to write. You know, sometimes
1: it's weird. It's easy for me to write dark things. If I can be honest with you, um, I can write really scary scenes, uh, them being chased. But when, when I start to write something that's very close to home, where it is uh, grief, I lost both of my parents And actually, when I lost both of my parents, there was a snowstorm both times. It was very weird, very eerie. There was one snowstorm after my mom passed away that took out power for a week. And then the snowstorm after my father died years later, just really ironically, was so bad we could barely get to the funeral. Really weird, very strange. I've never heard anything like that. But I think because of that, the scenes where I was really dealing with Mira's grief and her mother's grief. They were very close to me. And those are tougher because you have to push into a painful place and say, this is real. It hurts and I'm doing it anyway. So
0: that's the hard part for sure. Um, so the book, it takes place over a somewhat short timeline, you know, because it is this road trip, but you don't make it seem that way, but you know, just in in the writing of it, but did you find it difficult um, to manage to fill like so much information in this like short timeline of a book? You did it really well, but i'm I'm wondering if if you found it difficult to be like, I'm gonna set it during this road trip. Here's everything I have to get out in the story. I wish so much that I had that, Um, first
1: of all, time. Like if my editor is anywhere in the universe watching this, she's like, I hate your timeline problems because I really, my timeline problems are a big thing. I'm just writing into the mist. So I have no idea what's happening with time. But this was very easy. I think I'm, I'm a little bit of a cinematic writer where my writing process is, I'm kind of seeing it in my head. I'm watching a scene, almost like a TV show, and I'm just translating it and writing it. So it was pretty easy in that regard that it was like watching a long series, like a a season of of a show where I was just watching it and needing to translate it. Um, So that part wasn't too difficult. Now, when I had to go back and tell my critique partner and my editors, like, what time is it right now? I'm like, I don't don't really know. I like, I, I don't know that. So that was tricky, like making sure that I was kind of matching up and not having them there for two days and not having them there for two hours. That was... That was where timing got tricky,
0: for sure. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, you're just like, um, I'm not sure what time this is. Maybe you can uh, tell me time. as the reader.
1: <laughs> time is a construct. I wrote this during coronavirus, guys. Like time, what's time?
0: Who knows? i mean, You know what? That's actually so. Okay, so you did write this during the pandemic, then? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I did, and it was, or I, I was finishing writing it during the pandemic, and I honestly think it added to the suffocation of this book because we were all trapped in our homes. We, we were trapped alone. We were like in this really isolated situation, even though we tried to connect, we tried to find zoom and, and ways to connect. We all know it, it sucked, right? Like this was awful. So because of that, I think the idea of being trapped in a car and not with your loved ones and not where you want to be and you can't get out, you can't go where you want to go that I think did add to it, the atmosphere just around us. It, I had no idea that was going to happen, but here we are.
0: Here we are, indeed. Um, so Teresa in the audience wants to know, when writing this book, were you thinking about how to go with or go against your own instincts when under stress? Um, n- actually, no. So that's interesting. That's an interesting
1: question. I like that. I have, I don't typically, um, my main character's, kind of by the time I'm really into the meat of a book, uh, my main character has really taken on their own personality completely. Like, so it's really not about me at all. It's more like, is that right for her? Would she really do that? In fact, one of the most common things I have found as a writer, something that might help you if you're writing a book and you feel stuck, or you feel like something's off base, is once I get to chapter five or six, I know who my main character is then. I don't know them until I write them for a while. I got to get in their skin and listen to them talk and see what they do. Uh, Once I've done that for a while, their voice comes out more clearly. Their ambitions, their tastes, all of that kind of comes together. Some people do character sheets and all that. That never worked for me. But but writing them does. If I just get in there and keep working with them, then it's all the question I'm asking is, would she say that? Would she do that? Does that sound like mirror to me? because that is really what it's about it's not about how i would react it's more about how would she react to this situation so
0: sure um i i like the way you talk about writing because it feels very unstructured which yes <laughs> just I'm, I'm not sure my
1: editors love the way I talk about writing but no they're so wonderful and my editors have been so generous I, I've turned in books where I'm like this is so bad I don't know how we're gonna fix it and they're like this is fine you're a very clean writer so I'm one of those two I always think it's awful no matter what I'm doing I'm
0: like convinced I've wrecked it so oh well <laughs> so how did you get started writing books or just writing in general So I wrote
1: when, when I was really young, um, books were kind of a salvation to me. My childhood was not idyllic by any stretch. And when things were really hard, books were this magic place. You could open it and you could slip inside and everything could fall away. I thought that was amazing. And even when I was pretty young, I wrote things in the same way I explored, like I wrote so many things about thunderstorms, people, you don't even know, foxes in particular were a theme, like foxes in thunderstorms, thunderstorms with foxes. So I did a lot of that. And then uh, I identified for one of my teachers brought me to a young authors conference, which was really neat. And it was the first time I was very little, I was like eight and I realized, oh, people actually write books. I just didn't know where they came from. I was so young. I'm like, oh gosh, there are people that do this. And I knew I wanted to do that for a job. Okay. That's great. Now (laughs) let me give you the real version. That's awesome. And then you grow up and you realize you don't live in a world of privilege and um, where you can just sit in your ivory tower and write books all day long. I had bills to pay and I had no way to do it. So I I still work full-time but I went to work and I just kept writing on the side. And here's for some of you who are watching, I'm sure you'll like this. I was a fan fiction writer for a while because that was an incredible way for me to like use my voice and love the shows I loved. Um, and then eventually, really, the catalyst was my mom died. So when my mom died, I was 28 very young and she was very young and i realized if i don't do this i've wanted this my whole life i've been writing my whole life in one form or fashion if i don't go for it and take it seriously i could never do it she, you know my mother thought she had more time than she had many people do so that was the catalyst that really kind of launched everything into to high gear for me that said i wrote four very terrible books that went nowhere and then my fifth book was my first book published so
0: um well I feel like I have to ask as a follow-up what sort of fan fiction did you write
1: um oh my gosh this is gonna date me it's gonna take me back um Let's I started it. with Buffy
0: Nice.
1: Yes. Back. In sorry
0: the- I know I'm not part of this conversation
1: but I had to <laughs> yell this so, is Sydney thank you because it's the best because she's still the best it's still fantastic there's still so much good there So I did a little bit of that. I did a little bit of all kinds of random things, honestly, for a while. I think it was just a way for me to stretch my wings. I've had um, fans come up to me at, at writer conferences and stuff, and they're really, you know, afraid to say, I wrote a fan fiction. I'm like, that's great. I love that you're doing that. Take this book. It's yours. Once I write it, it's yours. Like, you can do what you want with it. Fan fiction is great. It's such a good way to explore your voice and not have to create the whole world and everything else. Like you can just play. And that's what you need to do when you're a starting writer. You've got to play. You've got to let yourself be sloppy and have fun. And then the rest of it will come. Then there are other steps after that. But first play, let yourself get out there and do it. Fan fiction is phenomenal for that. So I'm a huge supporter.
0: Uh, yeah, I wrote X-Files fan fiction. In, oh my God, in
1: did you? I- Me too. <laughs> oh, Love, love, love. We're going to have a fest where we all we will. I know. So much fan fiction. (laughs) No,
0: no, I think that's a good point though. I think um, there, I think there are a lot of well-known published writers who started out in fan fiction, because as you said, you don't have to worry about creating this whole universe or the characters they're already formed, but you have the opportunity to, Take them in a totally different direction if you want to or explore things that maybe got briefly mentioned in the book originally or movie or TV show or whatever it is and and expand upon it. So yes,
1: it's really such a phenomenal opportunity for that. And I mean, everybody knows there's some really famous books that were originally fan fictions in one point before they were edited 100 times. But that's really common, but I will say there are a lot more writers than you know who were fan fiction writers. So if you're like, oh, there's only a few. Mm -mm. No, Um, it's a lot. You don't, we don't all talk about it because some of us feel like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, I don't, dude, it's the way to go. Fan fiction all the way.
0: For sure. I mean, do you still secretly write fan fiction? I don't, I don't have time. I would.
1: There are times when I watch like
0: Ted Lasso right now. Oh, (sighs) these characters
1: I love them so much I'm like stranger things holy crap there there was like a million fan fictions that could have been written and probably are I haven't read any they're probably great but yeah I would but I'm I'm really like hot on deadline all the time so I can only keep up with what I'm doing but I I wish I could that would be so fun I think when I retire I'll write fan fiction
0: again some too. There you go. There you go. Good plan. Um, so looking through our question and answers from our attendees. Yeah, if you have just joined us or are not sure down in the um QA at the bottom of the screen, you can add a question. We have a couple people who've mentioned the setting, which is Pennsylvania. Um, setting of, of five total strangers. What made you want to set it there?
1: So I first of all, one caveat is I have had a few emails from people who think she's going to Philadelphia, and I'm like, She's not, she's going to Pittsburgh. So that's been interesting to be like, oh, I understand though, because she landed in Newark. So I think there was just some confusion there Um, or she landed towards Philadelphia at any rate. Um, Anyway, but she's going back West. Um, The reason I said it there is many, many years ago, I was actually uh, on a road trip, not a nightmare road trip, but I was on a road trip through Pennsylvania on I-80 and I got trapped behind like a wreck or something. And I literally sat in a car at a dead stop for two hours. Like there was no turning around. I kept thinking, what if I have to pee? Like I'm a thriller writer. So I'm like, what's going to go wrong? Well, if I have to pee, I'm in real trouble because you. there was nowhere to go. There was like no, we were, you know, between two mountains. It was really awful. And I remember kind of feeling panicky and thinking this was years ago, probably 15 years ago. I know more probably 25 years ago. Because I was pretty young and I thought, like, what if, what if, like, you couldn't get out of here? What if it was like snowy right now? Or what if it was hailing? So I started thinking a lot of what ifs. Those things are pieces of stories, and most of them are not enough. Like, most stories come from a few places. So my trip on I 80, coupled with the horrible storms that happened when my parents both died separately. I think those things together started to build a setting that was coming for me I could feel it I'm like there's a story here I just don't know who is whose story it is and a lot of times that's part of the waiting is me saying I know this is going to come I have another setting that I know is going to come I don't have the characters yet, and when I find them they come together and there's your story. So sometimes you just have to wait. People ask me if I keep an idea file and I always tell them, no, I do not because your good ideas, or at least mine, my good ideas stick with me. They'll just keep coming back. If they never come back, they're not that great to begin with. So for me, that's how it works.
0: So when Mira first showed up for you then, like what, what did you know about her?
1: I knew she was, um, I knew there was a real large grief component to her story. I knew that was really significant. Um, I also knew she was an artist. I didn't know what kind. She was several things before I landed there. Um, and I knew, I knew there was a complication to her relationship with her mother, but I didn't quite understand what it was. And that's what writing is, is you got to figure it out. I'm like, well, there's something there. What is it? What's going on? And as you
0: write, you learn. Um, So Judy in the the comments asked, how did you come up with all the characters in the car? And then in to try to keep it spoiler free, but like, do you know what happened to everybody sort of after the end of the book?
1: No, I, I actually think that that's part of, because I write these in first person, I'm very deeply immersed in my character skin. In fact, Five Total Strangers is the first book where I had a piece of the book that you knew as a reader like letters, you see it. And Mira doesn't for a while. So there's a piece of this story that you're aware of. And I'd never done that before. So it was somebody else's point of view in a small limited capacity, but that's another person's point of view verging into the story. Generally, the entire thing is one point of view and it's first person. And because of that, I really don't know what happens to everybody afterwards. And I wonder, like, I do wonder Mm -hmm. about some of them, like, do they stay in touch? Do, does this happen? I have ideas about what happened to her and where she went from here, but I don't have a good handle on what might've happened to the other characters, but I wish I did. Um, there's one character in particular I'm, I'm worried and hope, hope that things improved for so.
0: I mean, maybe you will have attendees from this and who read the book in big library read who decide to write fan fiction about oh what gosh, happens. I love fan
1: fiction so much. That was like the day, like really one of the highlights of my writer life was when I found a fan fiction for one of my books early on. And I was like, oh, I've read Like, it was so exciting. I'm That's still so excited the, yeah. when I see fan art too. Oh my gosh. When people send me book covers, I love that so much. It just makes me so happy to see other people being creative. It's so cool.
0: Um that is something that seems to pop up a lot in the in the young adult book community is that the readers are just so passionate about these books that they love and not to say that readers of adult books aren't but there's something about young adult books whether you are an adult reader or a young adult reader that just it 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 makes you want to create these things in the same world like fan fiction yeah. or cover art um so and, and maybe you've already answered this, but what has been your favorite part of being a young adult author?
1: Um, it's the, so there are a lot of things. I love my readers. I really love my readers. People are like, why, why won't you write an adult book? I might, but why in the world would anybody not want to write for teens? Why wouldn't they like these people are figuring out who they are. They're not cynical like me. They're not, you know, well, they're a little cynical who blames them. Look at their world, but they're, they're really exploring what they believe in, what they want to do. They're still really fierce and raw and wonderful. And I love being able to connect with them in any way. Um, They keep me going. The readers 100% keep me going. I would say in particular, each book I write, there are readers that reach out to me and say, hey, Beyond the thriller, beyond letting me escape, which is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to be able to pick up a book and walk away from everything else. That's what I'm trying to give. Like, that's why I write thrillers. But beyond that, I get emails every book from someone who connects with the deeper themes in the book. Someone who says, hey, I'm grieving right now. This is what happened to me. Or I understand in in an upcoming book, I, I have there's an abusive relationship element and people have reached out to me already about that. That's powerful in a way that is difficult for me to describe. And on days when it really doesn't feel like a job I'm capable of doing, like, you know, some days you just sit down at the keyboard and you're like, how am I going to write right now? I just got a horrible review or things are so stressful or, Hey, I have to suddenly be a homeschool teacher to my three children because there's a pandemic raging. So there are times when it's just so hard to feel creative inevitably one of these emails will pop into my mind or into my inbox and I'll go, that's why that person is who I'm writing for today because they needed this book and I got it to them and I'm going to write another book and someone out there is going to need it too. So those emails in particular keep me doing it.
0: Um, it seems like going through the, the questions, we have a lot of writers in the audience, which is Yay! great. And awesome. so um, someone related to that answer, Jacqueline wants to know, how do you manage writer's block? You know, so on those days when you're struggling and you don't have an email like that, how how do you manage the writer's block?
1: Okay. So I love talking about writer's block. I love talking to writers in general. So hello, welcome, gather around. We'll pretend there's a fire. We'll sing a little kumbaya and we'll talk. That's great. Let's do so, it. Okay, let's do it. We, when you're looking at writer's block, guys, you have one of a few things could be happening. And I only know this, not because I'm a genius, but because I have been desperately stuck in writer's block and I've had geniuses teach me. So I've learned from my writing partners, from instructors at conferences, from books like, first of all, write these down, Stephen King's on writing. If you have not written that, read that book as a writer, you need to, that's really a critical book. Um, Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird is fundamentally life-altering is for a writer. So those are the two I right off the bat, I would recommend for you. Um, So back to writer's block. When you have writer's block, there are a few things that could be going on. Number one is something's wrong. So if you're stuck, usually I know now, because I've been writing long enough that like, all right, well, I jacked something up. What did I do? So I'll go back a little bit. Um, Well, no. First, you might just need to show up. So if you feel like I'm
0: uninspired.
1: Well, ladies, if I and gentlemen, if I waited forever until I was inspired to write, we would never have books sitting in front of us. So you can't only do it when you're inspired. If you show up at the keys, though, and you're like, I'm doing it. I'm sitting here. I'm going to try. And you've tried it for a couple of days. And it's hogwash. And it's total dirt, word vomit. And it's nasty. And you know, it's not right that's the time to say, did I screw something up? For me, I did. Almost certainly I've screwed something up. So just being honest, I'll go back a couple of chapters and say, where did it happen? Where did I lose the thread here? Um, usually that'll be enough to find it and then it'll get me right back on track. I need it because I don't believe in editing too much while you're writing. You can get yourself into trouble. But there are times when you're like, oh no, I lost the plot. I have no idea where I'm going. Step back and you can usually move forward. If you have showed up And it hasn't worked. If you don't have anything wrong and you've even talked to a critique partner, a trusted reader, and they've also said, no, you're on the right track and you're really blocked. You're tired and that's Mm. okay. (laughs) There are writers during the pandemic that were like, oh my gosh, I wrote four books and I could barely drag myself to the keyboard. It was just everything I could do to get there. And a lot of the, the book that just came out that I wrote seven dirty secrets. A lot of that book was editing. That was written in editing because it was a really messy first draft, which my editors were still very generous and said was not that messy, but I think it was, I think it needed help. So you may need rest. So if you have tried, you know, showing up and doing the job, you have tried going back and fixing it and you've tried resting at that point, that is when you need to get other people involved and say, what's going on here? And then usually a brainstorming session with some trusted people, you'll figure it out.
0: Um, I love all of that. Uh, (laughs) So uh, for, yeah, there are several things. Let's hope I can remember all of them. Um, The thing about showing up is great. I've read Stephen King's on writing several times and, and he talks about how the muse doesn't like come and inspire you with fairy dust. Like you have to, like you said, you have to show up. And if you sit down every day at the same time and show up, eventually that muse will be like, all right. I guess you're here to do the work and we'll exactly. help you get through. And it's so true. Yes. Or
1: you might not even know the muse is there. You might be writing like, I hate everything, which I've totally had days where I've written so nat, Like, I hate this. I
0: hate writing. And
1: you're all angry. And then you read it later and you're like, well, that's actually kind of good. Like, so it comes, it, it does. It's weird. Yeah. You're right. Sometimes it shows up and sometimes it sneaks in and you don't even know it's there. So
0: yeah. also yeah also very true and then i was also thinking that right now it's it's november it's the beginning of november we're in national novel writing month and so yeah. <laughs> there are probably a lot of people myself included who are attempting to write 50,000 words in the next at yes. well, this point 3 weeks but um yeah you sometimes you just have to sit down and it it might be garbage but you can always fix it later so that's okay. You can. you
1: can, Like, I think it was Nora Roberts, but it's probably a lot of people said you can't edit a blank page. It's true. Write slop down. You can fix slop. And I will say I've done nano. I'm doing it now in a different way. I, I have, I'm in the middle of um, drafting one book. I'm editing another. I've got a million things going on right now, but I am nanoing in my own way. I love that we're all doing this together, even though I'm not really on the website. I'm like, we're all out here. We're doing this. So don't give up. And if you don't, if you're like, I can't do the 50,000 words, I don't care. Keep writing, do something. Don't worry about it. Like I don't hit 50,000 words. I'm still a writer. Like it's okay. I have before and there are years I haven't, but the point is for us all to get out there and get everything out of our way and just say, we're going to do this thing. So keep doing it. Even if you feel like you're not going to reach your goal.
0: Right. Yeah. It's okay to do nano your own way. You can, whatever that means for you. Um, (laughs) So one of the, um, attendees, um, has asked, you said you wrote four books and the fifth was the one that was published. So what would you say was the defining thing that made the fifth book a hit? Um, wow.
1: Learning like it's, this is like, I wish this was like, and then the fairy came and the lightning struck and the sun rose. This is just, I learned like my first book. I don't even know what's happening. First of all, if you've read any of my work, I think you'll all get a kick out of the fact that I tried, I attempted to write high fantasy. So I want us all to consider a moment where Natalie D. Richards with her like super quick writing and like, you know, people are moving hundred miles an hour and everything's conversation. Jill's laughing over here because she knows like what in the world And I'm going to write a character map. What am I doing with my life With my choices? No, this was not a good plan for me. So I started to figure out my voice, like that doesn't lend itself to high fantasy. And one of my books was (laughs) historical fiction, which also my voice does not lend itself well to. So I thought, okay, let's keep going. And the the next big thing that I did is I started to really get serious about my critique partners. So you can, and, and caveat, You can have bad critique partners. You can have people that tear you down and make you feel like you can't write anything right. And if that's what's happening, you don't have a good critique partner. A good critique partner is also not the partner who comes in and goes, I love it so much. It's so great. That's great. That's lovely. But you need someone who can go in and say, I love this. I think I know what you're trying to do. My partner is Jodi Casella. She's also a published writer. She is phenomenally talented and she's so good at reading my writing and knowing what I'm really trying to say. Um, My editors at Sourcebooks have been unbelievably powerful with that too. So when you get good editors in and you really listen to them and you let go of your darlings and stop saying, but I love this scene. If the scene doesn't work, it doesn't work. If the character is written wrong, you got to hear it. Um, So get good partners, listen to them and apply like lather, rinse, repeat, edit, 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 and learn from your mistakes. And that's really what it was. I will say, I also, you know, I did write a book. There are a lot of good books that get written and don't get published, not because they're not good, but because the market just doesn't write for them at that moment. So don't give up, really look at the picture as a whole. I knew I was getting closer. Most writers do. They they have some rejections out of the gate for your first books that are just like, <laughs> yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Very, very blanket rejections. And then you start to get a few that trickle in where somebody says, hey, I can't buy this, but I really loved it. And I'd love to see something else from you. Or you know something along those lines starts to happen. That's when you know like, okay, I'm getting closer. What am I doing? Take those pieces and apply them to the next thing. But the number one thing, the number one reason I'm published right now Everybody writes down because it's really important writing advice. I didn't quit. That's what it was. Like, you just can't quit. You have to keep going. And you have to be able to say, oh, that book didn't work. I'm putting it down and I'm trying again. That's another mistake I do see frequently as writers are very attached to one story. There's nothing wrong with that. But if a story is fundamentally not going to work in the market for whatever reason, you have to be able to as a writer to say, oh, I love this story, but it just isn't working. I have one that was one of my first books that I adore to this day. And maybe I will resurface it. Maybe I never will, but I had to put it away to move on. It was a really long winded answer. I just went on and on. Blech.
0: No, that's fine. That actually makes my job easier. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's all good advice. Um, and it, cause it can be hard to just keep writing, especially in the face of rejection, but You know, you, you show that that's what you got to do.
1: Yeah, it is hard. I know like rejection doesn't stop when you're published. People say terrible things all the time. And you're like, I really put my whole heart into that. But thanks for telling me I'm garbage. Like it's hard. It's, it's still hard. You know, I have a New York times bestselling author. I've been in target. Woo. But it's still, if I get a bad enough review and I, I come across it, boy, it stings. It's just really hard. And I don't. You know, the the longer I'm a writer, the softer my reviews become when I talk about books, because I'm like, who cares? I don't care if I didn't like a book. Someone out there might, someone out there might really connect with this. And who am I to say it's a garbage book because I didn't care for it. So I've become a lot softer because like all art, books are meant for the reader. It's meant for your interpretation. So yeah. Yeah rejection's hard, but someone out there is going to love your work. So when you get a terrible review or a terrible rejection letter, just don't quit. And remember someone out there is going to love the pieces out of it. That's what you're doing it
0: for. Um, so Rose, in our um, Q and a has asked, is there an author you turn to for advice or inspiration, which you've already mentioned, but do you have a favorite author of your own that you like to read? And what are you reading now?
1: Okay. Oh gosh. What am I reading now? Okay. I have to pull it up. Cause I don't know, by the way, being okay. a big library read, it is so amazing because like, I'm so hugely invested in all things overdrive and Libby. I can't even tell you. Like I'm always on them. So it was like, maybe the most exciting thing that's ever happened. Writers that I love, it's like telling me to pick my favorite dessert, a hundred million writers I I love. Know. It will depend on the minute and hour of the day. Like you could ask me right now. And I'd be like, Barbara Kingsolver, which is true. I love Barbara Kingsolver. She was one of my early influences, um, in the YA world, Jandy Nelson, Courtney Summers are no higher, like, Oh, magic. Um, I recently, Joe Hill, when we talk about like adult horror, wow. Oh my gosh. I remember like one of the moments when I was reading one of his books and he did something in a scene and wrote it in a way that was like so incredible to me that I just like threw the book down and I was like, I cannot, this is amazing. (laughs) Like it was so crazy good. Um, I just, this year I read, oh gosh, what is the one about the people in the summer house? I bet the book nerds know the people that are in the summer house. They're having, they're renting it. It's like the end of the world, but you don't really know what it is.
0: Oh, my brain is. I know. Like liking. it happens. It's station 11. Not station no. 11. It's newer
1: than that. It's, um, gosh, I should have my book list in here. That's what I should do. People always ask me this and I'm like, I can't remember names of books ever. I'm like the worst author of all time. Um, <laughs> I just read the Lucy Foley guest list book. So that was fun thriller. I enjoyed that. I wish I could remember that book title. It's killing me because it's such a good book. That was the one I would really recommend to everybody. So (laughs) here's some suspense for you. I can't (laughs) remember it. it. Is it Leave the World Behind? That's
0: it. Oh my gosh. Thank you, you. Emma.
1: Sydney saved the
0: day. No, it was Emma. Oh, Emma, (laughs) Emma saved the day. Thank you. Oh, it's right. Yeah, it's right there in the comments. Yeah. Leave the
1: world behind was so disturbing and incredible. Like, I so here's like the cool craft thing about that book. I read that book, and at first there was like two chapters where I was like, I don't like any of these characters. Who cares what happens to them? Like, this is the most weird, pedantic voice. And then like, this was like for a chapter or two, but it was working because I was not putting that book down. So here I am like, what is this is mean, I don't get it. And then I'm like, uh oh, he is either, this is maybe one of the most brilliant books I've ever read, or it's total garbage. And I think it's brilliant. And it was totally brilliant. Like the way it goes is, I cannot tell you quickly enough to go get this book and read it. It's so good. So good.
0: There so that's go. it recently uh I also say um I also love Courtney Summers she was on the podcast I think at the beginning of the year I, I talked to her she is a delight in both her personality and her books so she's, she's so fun
1: <laughs> all the Courtney Summers books you should get them all like you should just have the collection
0: like I do like
1: yeah. she's the best she's great I love her.
0: yeah absolutely so um yeah so you are the big library read pick no, all in on overdrive and living. Yeah. Like what, like, what is that like as an author? It's well, at first
1: I'm a writer that doesn't believe things. So like when a good thing happens, like when my editor called to tell me I was on the list, uh, I saw that my editor called, I was at work and I'm like, I'm getting fired <laughs> it's probably what it is. Like, this is just how I am. I'm like, no, I'm probably getting fired now. So that's good. And then my agent called me and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm totally getting fired. This is not good. We didn't really know I was going to hit the list. This happened kind of quietly. It was a surprise. Um, So when I when she told me, she's like, Natalie, I'm calling to tell you you hit the list. I'm like, that's great. What list? Like, I had no idea. Um, And then after she said it, I just kept having to ask, like, are you sure? Are you are you sure? I was waiting for a phone call to tell me it wasn't true. So the big library read was a little bit like that. I'm like, I'm sure they mean like some little book club part of the big library read. It was really weird. Like, I just kept thinking like, surely this isn't this because I love this, you know, overdrive little like, I'm on there every day of my life. They've actually in many ways unlocked reading. I'm so busy. It's absurd. I have a full-time job, three kids and I write. I'm really tired all the time. That's, it's like a Louis Vuitton set here, but I really needed audiobooks and they brought them to me they deliver them into my car and now I listen to books constantly it's, it's such a magical thing so to be part of that in any way I've read so many of the big library reads I'm like this is amazing very surreal that would be the word I'm still not talking coherently about it because it's so weird
0: no it's very exciting though like your book is being read by thousands of readers across the world it's also a little stressful when you say it like that. I'm like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it is, but it is so cool. My author's letter asked people to send stories. And I told you earlier, I am getting so, that was when I really realized like, okay, you really are the big library reader. Like I opened my inbox and there were like 35 email. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. This, a lot of people must be reading my book right now. So that's been incredible. I miss connecting with readers. Do you guys miss real events? Like I miss miss conferences. I miss looking at readers and signing their books and talking about books we both love. It's so great. It's such a good community. And this has been a way to like reconnect with the community. I'm so fortunate. I feel so lucky and I'm so, so grateful to be part of it.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine publishing a book in the middle of the pandemic when you can't do author events. Like that's got to be really challenging as a, as a writer, cause you, you don't have those connections with people.
1: Uh, it was particularly hard because this book, um, my, my publisher's amazing. It's an independent women owned, um, or publisher, They're fantastic. And they've been so supportive my whole career. And they had such a great package of marketing for this book. I was going to ALA and BEA, and there was just so many exciting things for Five Total Strangers in the works. And my heart fell a little more every day because every, you know, the whole world was shutting down. We all remember every day I would open another email of something being canceled. And then it was like this, almost like a bookend to the reality that was so hard. My kids were home from school. Everything was difficult. There was nothing to buy in the grocery stores. It was it was like living in a weird, we all know, we were all there. And then in the meantime, they're like, your writing career is slowly being stripped away. And it was like, oh, it was really, really heartbreaking. Which is why I think this book doing so incredibly well and hitting the list and doing all of these things has been, incredibly fulfilling. It's been just amazing to me. I feel so touched and I'm so happy to think that all these readers, I get so many emails like you made me like totally forget about everything for seven hours. I'm like, man, do we need that right now? I'm so glad I could do that.
0: Yeah. I, we love source books here at Overdrive and on the podcast. So we are, we are big fans. I honestly, had we been at ALA, I probably would have interviewed you there. So I know. <laughs> One day, one day, one day, one day we'll get back to, uh, (laughs) to in person. Um, so I, I don't know if I can actually, well, you know, the book just came out. So you also had, um, seven dirty secrets just came out. Was it last week that it was published? Last week was a big
1: week guys. Like literally my big library read started in the very next day. Seven dirty secrets came out. I have this one with me. I am terrible about having my books with me. So everybody should like, know this never happens. But here I am. Um, Seven Dirty Secrets uh, is also, it's a junior library guild pick for fall. And there's just a lot going on with it that's great. And this is one that was so incredibly hard for me to write. (laughs) I think it was so, so difficult because this one I also wrote through the pandemic. So I kind of finished one and started this other one. And it was tough, really, really tough. And I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to pull it together, despite everything that was going on. And that was just showing up. It was not because I'm just so talented and such a genius. I just showed up again and again. And I said, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to keep working this book until I find the story. And I did.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what that one's about?
1: Yes, this is about, you can see my main character is on the cover of this book. You can see nothing about her other than she's standing in water, which is appropriate, um, which you'll see very quickly in the story. So this is about Cleo, who um, on her 18th birthday, she wakes up and uh, while she's showering, she comes out of the shower and there is a gift on her bathroom sink. And it's an invitation to a scavenger hunt. And she doesn't know who left it. So it's right away like, okay, scavenger hunts are cool, but this is kind of creepy. Somebody slid into her bathroom and left it on her sink. So as she starts going through the clues, though, it's not quite as fun birthday times as she thinks, because every clue is bringing her closer to something terrible that happened a year ago when her boyfriend uh, died on a whitewater rafting trip, and there is something very secretive about what happened to him at that river. So the entire book is about her moving through these clues because obviously someone knows what really happened to him, and they want someone to pay for it. And if she doesn't figure out who it is, she's going to be the one to take the fall. So.
0: Um, that sounds amazing. <laughs> very, very, very
1: fun to read after I got it right. I will say that because I was like, how am I pulling it together? And then it like, (laughs) sometimes it's like one of those puzzles, you know, those really complicated puzzles you get for Christmas and you hate everybody for buying them for you. And you're sitting there fiddling with it and fiddling with it. And you're sure it is never, or a puzzle ring. If you guys have ever had one of those and you, it falls off and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never getting it back together again. And then all of a sudden, it just falls into place. And you're like, how I've been working with this for hours. Why did it happen? That was exactly what writing this book was like. It was like, I just kept fiddling with it and twisting and like, really, I felt turned around in every way. And then one day in editing, I just pulled the right thread and it all pulled into a sweater. And I was like, oh my gosh, it happened. It finally like came together. I understand it now. So if you're out there writing a book right now and you feel like you're never going to get to the place where you understand it, you will. Don't give up.
0: Sounds great. Yeah, that sounds really good. And yes, on the puzzles, you're just like, I, it's right, it's right there. Is, here LL, is it here? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, all right. So for those who are here, yes, thank you for um, coming along Hi, and- yeah. This was so much fun. So there is a week left of big library read. So you still have a week to go to your library's overdrive site and get five total strangers on ebook or audiobook without any wait list or holds. Yes. Even if you wait until the very last day of big library read, you can still get it for the full length of your um, library uh, lending period. But oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So as a final question, what do you hope readers take away from reading five total strangers?
1: Oh, well, I think probably the first thing I would want them to take away is we all need a break. So read this book and get away. Like, it's okay. Like, let's, let's get away. Like, I want you to get away. That's the most important thing is that you can just get yourself immersed in a scary, bonker story and, and be away from everything that's stressful and terrible in your life. And then the other thing is that sometimes we don't trust our instincts Um, because we think our instincts are wrong. Usually it's just that we misunderstand them. So you can trust your gut. You can trust your instincts. Um, you just might not read them right the first time. So just keep listening to yourself. Um, but most importantly, don't take a ride with strangers. I highly, highly recommend not doing that. So that's the thing I'd like you to take away if nothing
0: else. (laughs) That's good advice. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> it's a good answer. I mean, that is, that is good advice. Yes, don't you do you. the car. No, no don't do that. Do <laughs> Natalie, thank you so much. Thank and you guys thank, so you much. Um, thank you to our audience. Thank you people, all for coming in. Yeah. People want to find you online. Are you on all the, on all the socials? So I'm
1: like the worst. I'm on Twitter, but barely, but I am an Instagram junkie. So definitely come see me there because I am on there a lot more. And I love, you'll see pictures of my giant fluff. I have a 140 pound dog named Wookiee. So you'll see some pictures of him. And right now there's a lot of book pictures because I just launched a book and had a big library read. You may have heard about that somewhere. Um, but yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of fun on there. And I'm at Nat D Richards and you can email me anytime
0: too. Great. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program. To learn about other evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grudenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com.